Then let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. I've got to tell you a little something about Matthew chapter 24. When I first gave my life to Christ, um, there was a drummer from a band by the name of Selah. And they were doing a concert with uh, Lamb and Children of the Day, a lot of the Jesus People bands. This was back in 1977 in Appleton at the Lawrence Bowl, down in that football stadium. And uh, I was running sound. I was working for Henry's Music at the time. And uh, Nicky Cruz, I don't know if you know who he is, if you've ever heard of the, the Cross and the Switchblade, the book The Cross and the Switchblade or the movie. Um, Nicky was a gangster in New York and... Um, Pat Boone, I mean David Wilkerson, uh, went to New York and, and witnessed to these gangs and Nicky Cruz was one of the guys that got saved. Well, anyway, he, he was sharing his testimony at this concert and I'm running sound. And, and somehow the gospel that night broke through for the first time and I really wanted to turn the guy off. I mean, it was really impacting me. And um, as I looked around at all these Christians at this concert, there were... 1,500, maybe 2,000 people at the stadium. And I'm like, well, this is nice, you know, for them. But I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And as God began to speak to my heart, I was trying to think of excuses. You know what I'm talking about. You just, this is for somebody else. It's not for me. And, you know, it's good for these religious people and so on and so forth. And immediately when I had that thought, as Nikki Cruz was speaking, he said, um, I know that you're thinking I'm talking to somebody else. But I'm not. I'm talking to you. And I want you to come up here because I want to pray for you. You need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and I left the soundboard and went up and, and, and gave my heart to Christ that day. And then this drummer from one of the bands gave me my first Bible. And I don't remember. It was an easy uh, English translation. It was one of the simpler translations, maybe like the Living Bible or something like that. But I went home and, and, and opened that Bible and and he told me, he gave me a couple of keys to opening the Bible. He says, when you open up your Bible, he says, you need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you when you begin to read, because he will. He'll, he'll, he, you know, he's the, the comforter, the counselor, and he's, he's given to lead and guide us into all truth. So he told me about the Holy Spirit, told me to pray when I opened my Bible, so I did that. One of the first things that really grabbed me was prophecy. And I ended up... Uh, writing a, an album around Matthew chapter 24 right after I got saved. And, and uh, so this is a real special portion of Scripture to me. Um, so when, as we open up tonight, I want to pray and, uh, and ask the Lord to bless the bread before we break it. So let's do that. Father, it is so good to gather in the name of your Son Jesus and it's also good to know that your Holy Spirit is our teacher and our guide tonight, Lord. And I pray that if there's anything that's said that's contrary to your word or to your will, that you just let it fall on deaf ears tonight. And those things that you want us to retain and those things that you want to work in us, Father, I pray that they would take root and that you would really change our lives and our hearts by it. Lord, we desire so to follow you. And, um, and we pray that you'd have your way in this study tonight. So please, Lord... Um, bless this bread as, as we break it, as we look at it verse by verse and, um, and have your way in us. May we be able to apply what we learn here tonight. And it's in your Son's name, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, back up to verse 23 there and let's just get a running start at this. You remember Jesus looking over Jerusalem says in verse 37, Chapter 23, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I, I find it, I'm, I'm sorry, I guess, for some of the subtitles in the chapter divisions because we lose, we lose sight of it when we see a break or we might stop. And, and 
I, I, I encourage you. I think study Bibles are great, and and but I encourage you to um, also have a Bible that doesn't have all the subtitles and the footnotes and all. This, so so you can just read the text, and and um, that's why I always get a running start when we when we start a new study. But what I want to show you here is is that um, Jesus gives the purpose of all history, the tragedy of all history, and the triumph of all history in those three verses we just read. So it's kind of an overview. We talked about this as we closed um, last week. Uh, Number one would be the purpose of all history, and that's found in verse 37. The purpose is the Lord longs to gather his children to himself. It's the purpose of all history. Secondly, the tragedy of all history is found in verse 38 there. And the tragedy is your house is left to you desolate. Whenever the Lord is rejected as Messiah, all, the, all you can hope for is destruction. That's the tragedy. But the triumph of all history is, verse 39, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is telling the Israelites, and remember we've just come through a whole chapter there, chapter 23, where he's um, rebuking the Pharisees and the teachers of the law for the stand that they took in rejecting him. But it's going to get so bad, that things are going to get so bad for Israel that they're going to cry out for the Messiah. They're going to cry out for his return. And when it gets to that point they will see him again. And praise the Lord, the Bible says that they're going to rejoice. They're going to weep when they see him initially because they're going to realize that he was who he said he was and that he he was rejected of men. But now, as we get into chapter 24, we see um, verse 1 there, Jesus left the temple and he was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Now, that's kind of an interesting statement. Jesus is walking away from the temple. Back in chapter 21, verse 23, if you just want to turn back there a second, 21, verse 23, this is where the story began. Verse 23 of chapter 21 says, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. Remember, they asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? So from, from chapter 21, verse 23, all the way to chapter 24, Jesus was there in the temple courts teaching them and going over these things with them. Now it says he's walking away when his disciples, that is his followers, came to him to call his attention to the buildings. Now why would they do that? Well, Luke tells us. So I want you to turn to Luke chapter 21. A couple books to the right there, because this will set the stage for what we're going to talk about tonight. Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, The time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now think about this. That's why the disciples called Jesus' attention to the buildings. You might say, why would they do that? Well, they were beautiful. They were huge. They were ornate. It was something very, very special. How Herod's temple was constructed. But back in Matthew chapter 24 as Jesus is leaving the temple and they call his attention to that, he, he says that. You see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now that was fulfilled. That prophecy was fulfilled. All those stones were thrown down. Um, some 40 years later, that's the near-term prophecy. Some 40 years later when Titus and his armies threw down the temple, and, and I'm not sure that it was their intention, at least initially, to tear that down stone by stone. But when somebody 
started the temple on fire and it burned down and the gold melted in between all the rocks. They tore that apart to get the gold out and they took it apart stone by stone all the way down to the foundation. They took it down. Exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. He prophesied the destruction of the temple and it was destroyed in 70 AD. Now, we looked at Matthew 24 just for some insight to the circumstance that was going on there and a reference. But imagine this. The disciples are looking at They can't imagine this ever coming down. Jesus said, I'm telling you, not one stone will be left upon another. Now, is that any different from our day? I mean, man really tends to amplify the here and now. Want to look at the, the beauty. Want to look at, I mean, success in today's world is measured by physical beauty, isn't it? And by wealth. Um, or the size or, or of properties or possessions. It's all, ooh, look at that. That's what the disciples were doing. And Jesus was trying to get their attention off of that and back to reality. The Lord's trying to get their attention on eternity. He's trying to get their attention on the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of men. So now, as we get into verse 3, it says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. So they're walking away from the Temple Mount through the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives. It says Jesus left the temple. He's walking. Now he's sitting on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, that's kind of interesting because there's several questions. First of all, not all the disciples were with him. Mark tells us, and we're not going to turn there, but in Mark chapter 13 and verse 3, if you want to jot that down, Mark tells us who was there. Four disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew were there. And this is kind of a private briefing that Jesus is going to give them now. They're asking him some questions, specifically the question, when will this happen? That's question number one. When will this happen? And this is being asked concerning the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. Number two, what will be the sign of your coming? Now take close look at that because it doesn't say what will be the signs of your coming. They're looking for a specific sign. And there is a specific sign, singular. Okay? What will be the sign of your coming? Jesus gives a specific sign that will precede his return. I want you to watch for it tonight as you'll know when we get there. And number three, and of the end of the age. What age are they talking about? This, this worldly age, this age of rebellion. When is this going to be over? When are you going to set up your kingdom? That's what they're looking for. So, keep these questions in mind as we read through Matthew 24 and Jesus' response to these questions, okay? Um, also, I had you, a couple weeks ago I said, you know, in preparation for Matthew chapter 24, you should really read through the book of Daniel and read through the book of Revelation. And if you've had time to do that, this will make more, even more sense to you than as we break it apart here tonight. Because one thing that you need to understand, if you haven't had opportunity to read that yet, I just want you to know that this is very, very Jewish. It's very Jewish. And one of the reasons why many people misunderstand Jesus' answers to these questions that the disciples gave is because they interpret him for the church. And, they, and, and then right away you start to see the church in the tribulation. And, and it's just, it gets very confusing if you don't understand this is very Jewish. Being very Jewish, it's written in a very Jewish way. And one of the things that you notice about the book of Daniel and about the book of Revelation and about Matthew here is that it's written, first of all, in, a, in an overstatement. There's a, the, the big picture is given. And then he goes back and, and um, gives an overview and then he goes back and gives the details. And that's the way Hebrews wrote. That's the way the, the book of Revelation is written. That's the way uh, Daniel is written. Many of the Hebrew prophets wrote that way. Well, we're going through Ezekiel on Sunday mornings. You see that too. A lot of times he gives you a big picture. Then he goes back and fills in the details. Um, an example of that, those of you that studied Revelation with us 
Um, you have the seal, trump, the, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. And so, in a lot, and they overlap. And you can see, and you can understand why, because that's the way they wrote. So, as we go on here, now listen from, from verse 4 through verse 8, you're going to see the signs of the times. Okay? The Lord's going to tell us about, um, about some, the beginning of birth pains, contractions here. Listen to this. This is Jesus' answer now. Keep the questions in mind, but here Jesus begins to answer them. Verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. Boy, underline that. Take note of that. Because before the Lord's return, first of all, His return for the church, but also His return, His second coming for His elect, for Israel, there's going to be incredible deception. The first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth is that there's going to be intense deception. Watch out that no one deceives you. Verse 5, For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So there's going to be false messiahs. Now We've seen that in our time, false messiahs. How many times have we heard, you know, the Jim Joneses and the David Koresh's and the, and the uh, Sun Young Moons and uh, who was the uh, David, uh, Moses David, what's his name? He's big in India. You know, I thought the guy was long dead, but all these people claiming to be the Messiah, you know, claiming to be the Christ. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars but see to it that you are not alarmed. Jesus loves to tell his disciples not to be troubled. Don't lose heart. Don't be alarmed when you hear these things. All this stuff's going to be going on around you. Don't be sidetracked. Don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Okay, so what's he saying? Those are non-signs. Okay, the end is still to come. These aren't signs of the end. The end is still to come. But he gets more specific. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. I don't think those are the same. I don't think he's just repeating that as if they were the same. I, I have a tendency to think that the nation against nation is referring to world powers, possibly even world wars. But the kingdom against kingdom, stop and think about that. When the Lord refers to kingdom battles, kingdoms at war, I think it's spiritual. I think there's some intense physical battles going on between nations, but there's also spiritual warfare going on between the, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. It's intense, and the Lord says it's going to heat up. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Your Bible may say diverse places if you're, if you're reading uh, King James tonight. And, and one of the things that we just had, uh, saw the earthquake that took place in, in uh, the Middle East there, um, was it? No, I'm thinking about uh, Iran, wasn't it? Iran, and we're talking forty thousand people died in one night. That's just a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when we look at this, and and you know, you keep your eye on this, and you see in diverse places. I mean, they're having earthquakes where they've never had earthquakes before. Um, all these things are the beginning of birth pains. Birth pains. Keep that in mind. When Jesus talks about birth pains, and you ladies know what that's about, that's, that's not so much about um, necessarily the, the intensity of the pain, although that increases too, but it's how close together are they? That's what matters. You know, if they're 15, 20 minutes apart, you don't have to worry too much yet. I mean, I'd start getting packed, but, you know... If these things are a couple minutes apart, and that's what the Lord is saying, this is, this is like birth pains. These are the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9, And then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now, a couple of things I want you to take note of here. Now, the first section that we looked at, verses 4 through 8, were signs of the times. Now we're coming into, he's going to give us a picture all the way through the tribulation. You're going to get an overview here now from verse 9 to verse 14. You're going to get a whole an, an overview of the picture of the tribulation. He says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted 
and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Remember, this is very Jewish, and you'll understand why I say that as we go on in these prophecies. He's speaking about the Jewish people. He's speaking about the nation of the Jews. All the other nations are going to hate them because of Jesus. See, that's going to take place in the tribulation. Why? Because they're going to recognize him as the Messiah. They're going to be the only ones that aren't going to bow down to Antichrist. Okay? Verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, mark that well. Those that stand firm to the end will be saved. And remember, false prophets, boy, we're seeing the stage set for that already. I don't believe we're in this time frame here, but we're seeing the stage set already. I'm going to go into uh, Thessalonians a little bit tonight and, and show you where I believe that the end of the church age is really, uh, there's a setup going on. There's a setup. But because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay, so now from verse 9 to 14, you got the whole picture, all the way to the end. Then the end will come. But I want you to understand something. Some people think that this verse 14, that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It doesn't say here, let me just tell you what it doesn't say, because people read into this, that it's the church that's going to carry out this mission. See, right now, that's in a lot of people's mission statements. You know, that we have to take the gospel to, the, to, to all nations and all kingdoms, and, and we have to do that, otherwise the Lord can't come back. No, that's not true. I'm going to show you why, why I say that. It's, if you turn to uh, the book of Revelation... I want to show you something in, in chapter 14 in the book of the Revelation. And this is right in the middle of the tribulation period. I want to show you uh, verse 6. Revelation 14, 6. Okay? Revelation 14, 6 says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. You understand? That's an angel doing that, and he's proclaiming this to every nation, tribe, and people during the tribulation. So some people think that, oh, it's the church's job to preach the gospel to all nations, which, which it is. I mean, that's part of our mission. But this is not for us to complete before the Lord comes back. So don't buy into that. Because I want you to know the gospel is going to be being preached in several ways. First of all, there's the two witnesses during the tribulation. Then there's the 144,000 that are sealed. And by the way, those are all Jews. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's this angel going around with the gospel just before the end. So Jesus gives us the picture all the way to the end. The other thing is, if, if you consider um, the gospel being preached, um, it was said, if you remember when uh, the Apostle Paul, um, I believe it was when he was in uh, Ephesus, and they were accusing him. Remember the silversmith and, and those that were all upset because uh, Paul was cutting into their prophets as he was putting down the, the, the goddess uh, Artemis of the Ephesians. And they said, these men have filled the world with this message. Okay, well, that was back in the, in the early church. The world has heard. And just to make sure, the Lord's got 144,000 set aside, two witnesses and an angel. So I just wanted to point that out in verse 14. But through verses 9 through 14, he takes us all the way through the tribulation. Now in verse 15, we're going to get into some detail here. 
because verse 15 to 29 is from the mid the middle of the tribulation we're three and a half years now into the tribulation to the end of the tribulation starting with verse 15 so it's kind of difficult unless you understand um, this is how this is how they write they give an overview and then they go in and they fill in some details we're going to look at this one specifically tonight hope we have enough time to to get through this one verse 15 so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel let the reader understand now if the reader doesn't understand the reader needs to do some homework okay in Daniel chapter 9 let's turn there for a second Daniel chapter 9 Daniel has a vision that's given to him from the angel Gabriel. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight because I know we've been through it a lot. And most of you know about this. But he's given a vision of 77s. Verse 24 of chapter 9 in Daniel. Verse 24 says, Seventy sevens are decreed for your people. Who's your people? He's talking about Israel. And your holy city. Who's your holy city? He's talking about Jerusalem to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy. So 77s are given. Now as you read through this prophecy, you'll see that he says, Know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Anointed One, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens, and 62 sevens. Okay? So that's 69 sevens. You understand? There's one missing. He's talking about 69 of them till the Messiah comes. Okay? And then it says it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm, now he's talking about he, this is in the last seven, we pick up in that last seven, we talked about the 69. He will confirm a covenant with the many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. So, so, this, this one who is claiming to be God is going to cause sacrifice and offerings to cease. This is halfway through the last seven. In other words, three and a half years into the tribulation period, he's going to say, you know what? No more offering sacrifices to your God. You need to understand that I'm God. You're going to worship me. And it says, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation, until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay, This is what Jesus is referring to. He's talking about the abomination of desolation. He's talking about this idol that's going to be set up in the temple. So, without spending a lot more time on that, I encourage you to dig into that prophecy, know it frontwards and backwards, know what it means, know what it stands for, and be able to explain it, especially those of you that are going to Israel with us, because it's an awesome tool to tell people about what's going on in Israel. See, they're ready to rebuild the temple. They have the furnishings ready to put in the temple. And the Temple Mount Faithful, which is a group that's been crying to rebuild the temple for many years, says that they can have this temple up and operational in three months. They're ready to put it up. Now, there's a couple things going on here. Jesus tells his disciples that the temple that was standing is going to be destroyed. Well, that has been, that's happened. But now he's saying, just before I return, this abomination of desolation has to be set up in the holy place. Well, wait a minute. You can't have a holy place without having a temple. What he's saying? The temple's going to be rebuilt. The thing is, it's going to be rebuilt under the Antichrist, under the one who's claiming to be Christ. So now here we are in Matthew 24, and, he, and this is the sign that they were asking for. Give us a sign. What's the sign? The sign is the abomination of desolation of, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And he says, let the reader understand. Then, I'll tell you what, before we go to verse 16, 
Why don't you turn with me to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Because if I give you this picture of the lawless one, if you get a picture of this, you'll understand the rest of Matthew 24 there. 2 Thessalonians. It's on page 1828 in the real Bible. <laughs> you can laugh. I was kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> you guys are so serious. Lighten up. Uh, this is a serious study. I, I, I know. But um, take a look at chapter two in Second Thessalonians, verse, verse one. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, so he, Paul is writing to the uh, Thessalonians here um, about two things, the coming of our Lord and our being gathered to Him. So there, I want you to understand there are two different events. The second coming of Christ and the rapture are two different things. If you don't understand that, you, you know, you're going to have scrambled eggs for eschatology, for your end times things. Okay, The, the rapture of the church... And, and the second coming are two different things. And he really lays it out here well to the Thessalonians. And now people will say, well, why do you have to know about the rapture of the church? Why is that so important? Well, I ask that question of the Apostle Paul. Listen, the Apostle Paul was only in Thessalonica for like two or three weeks. It says he was there for three Sabbaths and he reasoned with them and then he had to move on because there was trouble. But Imagine being somewhere for two or three weeks and the doctrines you cover are the second coming and the rapture of the church. I mean, what, there must be something important to it or you would have covered other things. But he spends a lot of time on this and he says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us. Now, apparently there was a letter circulating that they said Paul wrote or the apostles wrote, that the rapture had already happened. And he, and he says, no. He says, no. He says, don't be, une, don't be unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. Make note of that. That's one thing. There's going to be a great apostasy, a rebellion falling away. And the man of lawlessness, that's one of the names of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Get the picture? That's the Antichrist. That's what he wants to do. Don't you remember that when I was with you I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. So, guess what? The Holy Spirit in the church is the restraining force keeping the Antichrist from revealing himself. When the Holy Spirit in the church is taken out of here, all hell breaks loose, and that's exactly what it says in chapters 6 through 18 in Revelation. You want to read what happens on the earth when we're gone? Yikes. It's unbelievable. Chapter 4 in Revelation opens by saying, after these things, after what things? Well, after the things of the church age, because chapters 2 and 3 are about the church age. After this, what does John hear? What does he see? He sees heaven open. He hears a trumpet as a voice saying, come up here. Oh, wow. That can't be much clearer. The trumpet blows and the Lord calls the church home. And then chapter 5, if you look at the songs that they're singing in heaven, there's only one group of people that can sing those songs. It's the church. Angels can't sing those songs. They're not redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You know, unbelievers can't sing those songs. And it can't be just Jewish people because it says they're from every tribe and nation and kindred and tongue. You know, so it's amazing. Chapter 4, the trumpet blows, the Lord calls us up. Chapter 5 shows the picture in heaven of, of us rejoicing with Him. And chapter 6 begins the opening of the seven seals and the plagues on the earth. So the, there's tribulation poured out on an unbelieving world. So anyway, the Antichrist, Paul's telling these people in Thessalonica 
that the Antichrist can't reveal himself until this force that's restraining him is taken out of the way. Okay? And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Now listen, if you think that your faith is strengthened by signs and wonders, you are in danger. You understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of people and, and well-intentioned people who are chasing after signs and wonders today. It's a dangerous thing to do because in the last days, signs and wonders are going to abound. But listen to what it says. They're going to be counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. All kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. And in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So there's a lot of people who think they're saved because they're seeing miracles. They think they're saved. Boy, I think about those, those verses where, where Jesus says, you know, they'll come to me and they'll say, Lord, Lord. Didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And what's his response? Go away from me. I never knew you. Well, wait a minute. They perish because they refuse to love the truth. If you want to grow in your faith, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And instead of holding, holding God's word up to our miracles, you know, we should be holding things that happen, experiences and things that happen in our life up to God's Word to see if they're of God, not the other way around. We're asking for trouble when we do it the other way around. Verse 11, For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie, not a lie, the lie, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Now there's the picture. Paul writes to those in Thessalonica and says, no, it hasn't happened yet. Remember, the, the day of the Lord begins with the rapture of the church and runs all the way through to the millennial reign of Christ. It's not just a 24-hour day. But let's go back to Matthew and pick up where we left off. Verse 16. Talks about the abomination of desolation. Now you know a little bit about that lawless one who's waiting to take over and what his intentions are. Verse 16 says, Then... Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Those who are in Judea. Where's Judea? Somebody tell me. What country is it in? It's in Israel, isn't it? Who's he speaking to? Is this Jewish or what? Is this very Jewish? Okay. Let those who are in Judea. He doesn't say let those who are in Washington or those who are in Seattle or those, you know, it doesn't say that. It says those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. That's very Jewish. I mean, when was the last time you guys walked, walked, drove by each other's house and saw each other up on the roof? You know, we don't go on the roofs. This isn't about America. <laughs> this is very, very Jewish, this writing. The, the roofs of the houses in Israel are a place where they relax, and it's a place where they lounge, and it's a place where, where you know, they're... But it says, let no one on the roof of the house go down to take anything out of his house. This is an indication that they're going to be in a hurry. You need to get out of here. When you see or hear of that abomination of desolation being set up in the holy place, don't stop to get a coat. Don't stop to get anything out of your house. Flee to the mountains. Okay. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Why would he say that? Well, because it's going to impede your escape to have a little child with you. It's going to make it that much harder for travel. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter. Why? Well, because, you know, trying to get from Judea to the mountains is tough travel in the winter. It's hard. The roads are blocked. It's tough travel. So pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. Do you see how Jewish this is? He's not talking about the church here. The church doesn't worship on the Sabbath. The church isn't involved in Sabbath laws. He's talking to the children of Israel here. The context always determines who is being spoken to, and you can see this is very Jewish. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Is that an indication of what these times will be like? 
If those days had not been shortened, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now some people see the church in here because they see that word elect and they know that we are elect of God because Paul wrote that to the Christian churches. But what you need to understand here is he's not talking about the church saints. He's talking about the tribulation saints. He's talking about those that were left behind because they didn't believe in Christ. Okay? We're talking about during... This is halfway through the tribulation period because the abomination of desolation is set up. It says, the days are shortened. Days are shortened. If the Lord hadn't intervened, there wouldn't be anyone to save. And I'll tell you what, when you look at uh, those chapters in Revelation of what's taking place, you can understand why he said that. The battles that take place are just horrendous, and, and not to mention all the demonic powers that are cut loose. And So he says, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. He's telling him about the deception. Don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. Now, I've heard people, I've heard church people say, I can't be deceived because I'm one of the elect. You know what? You're deceived already if you got that attitude. Because all of the, all of the, in the epistles, in Paul's epistles, all the warnings, who do you think those are written to? Unbelievers? <laughs> Guess what? Unbelievers don't read the Bible. Okay, those were written to the church, and we need to, to, to take that into consideration. So, I mean, I've, I've heard people claim to be the elect of Matthew 24 and then claim, well, see, we can't be deceived. Be careful of that stuff. It's deadly. Why do you think Jesus keeps saying, watch out, don't be deceived? Okay, see, I have told you ahead of time. So, if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert. Do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now see, he's not speaking of the rapture there. The rapture is a signless event. It happens without warning. But now he's talking about the second coming. And he says, everyone will know. Because it's going to be like lightning. You ever try to hide lightning? No, when it flashes, you can see it from east to west. It says, wherever there is a carcass, wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Now, that's, that's kind of um, a, a scripture verse that's really been um, handled in a lot of different ways, let's say that. I, I don't think it's worth spending a lot of time on, but I just say, if you look at the, the, the spiritual condition of Israel that Jesus is talking about here, they're dead spiritually. And I believe what the Lord is saying here is wherever the carcass is, the vulture, or your Bible may say eagle, think about that. Um, a dead animal on the ground, or human being for that matter, on the ground can be spotted from a long ways off by a vulture or an eagle. That's why they say eyes like an eagle or eyes like a hawk or eyes like a vulture. They can be a little dot in the sky and they can see a dead carcass down on the ground. And they'll gather they will gather. But what remember, this is in the context here of destruction and false prophets and false, you know, so they're going to devour. They're going to devour those who are spiritually dead. Okay? Immediately after the distress of those days, so now this is at the end of that tribulation period, it says, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So those that, are, uh, that call themselves preterists or believe that all of these things in Matthew chapter 24 were fulfilled back in 70 AD at the destruction of the temple are just plain wrong. I hate to, I hate to say it, but... This has not happened yet. Okay, the stars haven't fallen out of the sky. Uh, you know, the the sun wasn't darkened and the and the moon didn't cease to give its light and so on and so forth. Also, the temple hasn't been rebuilt. 
Okay? It wasn't destroyed and then rebuilt. There wasn't this holy place where the abomination, this is yet to come, it's future. So when you hear people saying, oh, you know, those people that believe in prophecy, they're just all what this stuff has all happened. Well, I'll tell you what, if, if we are living in the millennial reign of Christ um, and the devil is supposed to be chained up, I think his chain is a little too long. I think he needs a shorter chain. No, I'm being facetious. I don't think he is chained up. I think he's alive and well. And we're still dealing with him. Um, so, as you probably can tell, I don't hold the preterist view. <clears throat> anyway, verse 30. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. It's interesting, we just sang that song. But the recognition of the Son. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Why are they mourning? Well, for one thing, because they'll recognize the one whom they have pierced. And they'll mourn for him as for an only son. It's an amazing thing. And we were just talking to, uh, uh, we were just talking about the, the movie, um, The Passion of the Christ, and how the rabbis are, are, are furious. Julie was reading some accounts on the internet of the rabbis writing in and saying that Jesus was not the Messiah. He couldn't be the Messiah. And, and why would somebody you know, make a movie like this? And they're just really you know, poking fun of the whole thing. But the interesting thing is that in his Bible, in that rabbi's Bible, in Zechariah chapter 12, it talks about these, 12 and 13, it talks about these very things. As a matter of fact, they will go up to Jesus and they'll say, where did you get those wounds? in your hands and he says in the house of my friends you know so they will recognize him I know they're denying him now but the Bible says they will recognize him in verse 31 and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other now the trumpets in the Bible are very confusing as well. Some people think that this is the rapture of the church. They look in the middle of Matthew and they see the rapture of the church. Wait a minute. This is very Jewish. The, the church is gone. Because we just read in Thessalonians that the Antichrist can't even reveal himself until this force that's restraining him is removed and, and all that. So, so what's up with this? Well, I want to show you a few verses. And just to save time, I'm going to go there. You jot them down. Okay? The first one is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 3 and 4. And I'm just going to read them, so jot that down. Deuteronomy 30, verses 3 and 4, and I'm going to read it to you. Verse 3 says, Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. This is a reference to Israel. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens... From there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. So this is a gathering from the four, from the four corners, from, from the heavens. He's gathering Israel. Okay? Deuteronomy 30, verses 3 and 4. And then while you're writing, jot down uh, Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 12. I'll read that one to you. Isaiah chapter 11. And verse 12 says, He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Okay? And one more. This one's in Isaiah also, chapter 27, verses 12 and 13. Isaiah 27, verses 12 and 13. And they read, In that day, and that's a reference to the day of the Lord, so we know he's talking about, In that day, the Lord will thresh from the flowing Euphrates to the wadi of Egypt, and you, O Israelites, will be gathered up one by one. And in that day, a great trumpet will sound. Those who were perishing in Assyria and those who were exiled in Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. So don't confuse that trumpet with the trumpet that sounds 
First of all, the trumpet that sounds to call us home in the rapture, the church, is called the trump of God. Okay? It's not an angel blowing a trumpet. It's the trump of God. It's the voice of the angel and the trump of God. Okay? Also, some confuse this with the, um, the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet in the seven trumpet judgments. But you need to understand, that's a judgment. That's not, a, that's not rescuing. That's, a, that's part of a judgment, so it's not that either. That's, I just wanted to clear that up because there's a lot of confusion over that trumpet call. He's gathering the elect. Again, the context is Jewish. It's Israel. Verse 32. And he explains this. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. Fig tree is always a symbol of Israel in the scriptures. But learn this lesson from the fig tree. He's talking about a natural fig tree here, a real fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things... Well, when I see all what things? Well, what have we been talking about here? I'm just going to run through them. I, I, I jotted them down here in my notes. What have we been talking about here? We've been talking about persecutions, hatred toward Christ's followers during the tribulation. We talked about apostasy. We talked about false prophets, deception, increase in wickedness, love growing cold. Um, some will stand firm. The gospel of the kingdom preached. The Lord saying, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass until all these things have happened. Which generation? The generation that sees all these things. It's amazing. The generation that sees all these things certainly will not pass until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, here's what I was talking about before when I, when I said in study Bibles, sometimes in a study Bible you have another heading. There's a heading in your study Bible that says the day and the hour unknown, and then it gives some other scripture references, and then it goes on to verse 36. I kind of wish that wasn't there, because then you would read it like this. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour. Okay? It's important that you catch that because, because with that little break in there, it's easy for guys to go, oh, you know what that means? That means that, you know, learn this lesson from the fig tree. The fig tree is Israel, and, you know, Israel was established in 1948. And so if you take a generation, which is 40 years, and you take 40 and you add it on to 1948, it's 1988. And the Lord's coming back in 1988. Well, there were books written about that. You understand what I'm saying? Now, if they would have just read one, one more verse and said, no one knows about that day or hour, then, then they would say, well, you don't know that. I mean, they, they were so brazen as to say, well, nobody knows the day or hour, but it doesn't say nobody knows the year. You know. Now, do you understand what would happen to a prophet in these days if somebody prophesied something and it didn't come to pass? What? They stoned him. They had a rock concert for the guy and his family. They'd find them under a pile of rocks. Well, today, if somebody prophesies something and it doesn't come to pass, you know what they do? They write a sequel. They write another book. Sell more books. I mean, it's ridiculous. So when people start setting dates, don't buy into it. Jesus told us to be aware, be ready. Watch, be ready. Now listen to what he says. No one knows about that day or hour not even the angels in heaven and some of the Bibles, I know the NIV says, nor the Son, but that's not in a lot of manuscripts. But it says, uh, anyway, it says, but only the Father. So not even the angels in heaven, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the time of the coming of the Son of Man. Okay? Uh, he compares... His second coming to the days of Noah. And then he explains what he meant. Just so that, I mean, there's a lot of comparisons, okay? You can look at, you know, the wickedness that was going on. You can, you can look at uh, a lot of things. But he explains it. He says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. What's Jesus saying? Business as usual. Nobody had a clue that judgment was coming. 
They weren't concerned. Who was concerned? Well, Noah was concerned. Noah's wife was concerned. Noah's three sons were concerned. And their wives were concerned. Eight people were concerned. Why? Because they heard the voice of the Lord and they obeyed. Who's concerned today about the second coming of the Lord? Those that have heard his voice. Those that have listened to Jesus. And he says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. And he says, the world at my second coming is going to be in the same shape as it was in the days of Noah. Unaware, just oblivious to the judgment. And then it says, two will be in the field. Two will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the handmill. One will be taken and the other left. And again, some people look at this and they see the rapture of the church. I don't think that's the rapture of the church. Because what was he talking about? Who were the ones that were taken away? Who were the ones that were washed away? Those that weren't paying attention. Those that didn't know what was coming. Those that were, they were taken away to judgment. Okay? The only interpretation where I could see that those that were taken away would be the ones that were saved if it were the ones that were taken up over the times of trouble (laughs) with Noah and then brought back down. So there's different interpretations here. I don't want to mess with your head either way. Here's what I'm saying. The point is this. Two men in the field, two women grinding at the handmill. There's a principle here that you don't miss. No matter what your interpretation is of this, don't miss this. No matter how close two people are to each other, that's no guarantee that their destiny will be the same. Okay? You keep your eyes on Jesus and your hand to the plow. Alright? Because verse 42 tells us, this is, this is the bottom, bottom line, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, If the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him. Now let me say something about that because this is critical that you understand this. Jesus is coming as a thief in the night for unbelievers. See, for the believer, he's not a thief in the night. For the believer, it's like, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. We're ready. We're praying. We're going, Lord, pull us out of here. You know, whenever you're ready, Lord, I'll stay here and I'll do your work and I'll be about your business. But whenever you say go, I'm let's go. You know. So we're going to be rejoicing. But to those who are unbelievers, it's going to be like a thief in the night. Like a thief in the night. So What's he saying? He's saying, keep watch. Watch and pray. Be ready. That is the key. That's the exhortation. Watch. Be ye ready. Okay? Well, how do you do that? Well, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've already done that. Now the thing is, live for Him. You know, not just that He's your Savior. Make Him your Lord of every decision, of everything you do. Check with Him. Stay close to Him. Keep a short account with the Lord. Who then is faithful faithful, and wise servant, whom the Master has put in charge of the servants in His household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose Master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. And if you want to do some some reading on the millennial reign of Christ. It's interesting that the Lord, that we rule and reign with Him. And He gives us, you know, things to do. Don't, you know, we're not just going to be floating around on clouds, you know, playing harps in diapers like they show on the commercial and wings and stuff. No, we're going to be worshiping the Lord. We're going to be for a thousand years, you know, on this earth. The millennial reign of Christ. You know, I don't think about that too much. But we should. We should. He says he's going to put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And and then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. 
The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's, that's pretty harsh. That's incredibly harsh. Now I look at this portion of Scripture and you, know, you, can't, you can't misunderstand the fact that this is a very Jewish portion of Scripture because he's talking about Israel. He's talking about the Sabbath. He's talking about Judea. He's talking about the temple. He's talking about what's going to happen in that seven-year period, in particular the last three and a half years. Now what I'd like to do in closing this study tonight is I'd like to have you turn back to uh, Thessalonians, but this time 1 Thessalonians. I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians. And we'll close with this. Because I want to give you something to think about in terms of the church tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Let's close with this. Brothers, and again, he's writing to the Thessalonians. Remember, he was only two or three weeks there in Thessalonica. And he says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. That was a way they described the death of a believer. In the Bible, the only time they talk about somebody sleeping in Christ, I think we're losing Paul here. Going to sleep in Christ there, bro? Okay. Um, but, but anyway, uh, it was always about a believer. Okay? The believers fall asleep. If an unbeliever is mentioned as dying in the, in the Scriptures, just he died. Okay? But he says, about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus. Now that's an interesting statement. You need to pick up on that. Because he's not talking about soul sleep here. When you die, you're present with the Lord. Okay? It says that we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are still left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. What does he mean? Well, they're already with the Lord. We can't precede them. They're already, when somebody dies and they're a believer, they're with the Lord and they're going to come back with the Lord. We're going to meet them. Okay, are you with me so far? According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are alive, who are still left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. See, that's a specifically different trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That's happened. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, this is a picture of the rapture of the church here. And while you didn't see that word rapture, you did see catching away. And that's if you had a Latin Bible, it would say rapture or rapturos. And then he says, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, pay attention here. The day of the Lord will come with it like a thief in the night. That's the day that, I mean, that day begins with the rapture of the church. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. Sound familiar? That's what Jesus was talking about. And they will not escape. But you, brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Did you catch that? He's talking to the believers now and he's saying, Jesus isn't a thief in the night to you guys. It's not going to catch you like a thief. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert, self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now if you understand 
that the tribulation period is the wrath of God being poured out on an unbelieving world and you understand that you are not given unto wrath, you're not appointed unto wrath, but you're appointed unto salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, then you know you're not going to be here for that outpouring of God's wrath on an unbelieving world. It's as simple as that. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Is that awesome? Is that awesome? If you have an opportunity before you go to sleep tonight, I want you to read John chapter 14 because the disciples were incredibly troubled that Jesus was leaving them. And you might be troubled today that you can't reach out and touch Jesus, can't put your arm around Him, can't break bread with Him. But He said, I go to prepare a place for you And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and I'll receive you again unto me. What do you think that is? That's the rapture of the church. I'll receive you again unto me so that you can be where I am. And he's gone to prepare a place for us. By the way, the next chapters, 15, 16, were all about the Holy Spirit. Why he gave us the Holy Spirit. So dig into that tonight. Or in the morning maybe for a devotion. John 14, 15, 16. But let's pray and ask the Lord to seal His truth in our heart here, okay? Father, there's a lot of teachings going around um, about the church going through the tribulation. And, and uh, I thank You, Lord, that You love us so much. And, and just like You did for Noah, and just like You did for Lot, You give us a, a, a means of escape. Father, you have given us your Son. And Lord, we don't want to take lightly what Jesus has done for us. We know what it means that our, our sins were what nailed Jesus to that cross. Our sins were what caused the scourging and the crucifixion. And Father, we want to turn from that. At all costs, Lord, we want to turn from that because we want to please you and we want to be a part of that ministry of reconciliation, calling others to Yourself. Lord, we pray that You would use us. But help us to keep our eyes on You, Lord. Help us to be constantly aware that You're going to return for us and purify us in the process, Lord. Keep us close to You. We want to be sober. We want to be sober-minded and self-controlled. We want to be prayerfully watching and waiting for Your return. And in the meantime, we just want to share the gospel with many others. So Lord, fill us with your spirit. Use us as we leave this place tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.